This past week, I had a congregant call me who just lost her mother, and she asked me what to do. She was lost. She needed some guidance. And after I explained to her the journey we take as Jews from the depths of darkness, of grief, back to the light, she said to me, and it's the same thing I have heard hundreds of times, I wish I would have known this before I was right in the middle of it. And at that, finally it hit me, I knew what I needed to talk about tonight. Tonight I'm going to talk about the journey the rabbis have set up from us. From the moment that we lose someone through the first year of grief and then into the rest of our life living with loss. The rabbis, they gave us a path to walk from the darkness and then back to the light while being cared for and constantly creating a space to remember. So what I'll do, I'll start at the beginning. When a person dies, oftentimes the family members immediately call the synagogue. My mobile phone will ring at three o'clock in the morning, telling me that a person's mother has died. And as we talk on the phone, I explain to them that our entire focus is on their loved ones and doing our final act of caring for them by returning them to the earth. The loved one is often very busy with making arrangements, getting everything in order so that they're buried. Traditionally, we bury the person the same day that they die. If the person dies at 9 a.m., by 5 p.m. we have them buried. Living in the state of California, it's no longer possible with the documentation that's required by the government, so it often takes a few days to bury a person. The rabbis have us focus on making this a speedy process because the mourner is in a liminal state. They've lost a loved one, but they're still taking care of their needs, but they can no longer talk to them but they're also wondering if they're doing what they actually wanted. The only word to describe the state is liminal. Oftentimes I have families say to me that they can't speak at the funeral because they're gonna cry. And I tell them the same thing I have told every other family, that written in the Shulchan Aruch in Yoradea, which is a compendium of Jewish law, with glosses written in to describe the customs, in the Shulchan Aruch it says that it was customary to hire professional criers to come to the service. The communities would place, they literally put these plants throughout the audience, not to make it appear that the people are more sad about the person's passing than is actually authentic, but rather because crying can be contagious. When people around us cry, we often follow suit. And the rabbis, they saw the funeral as a place where one is supposed to be strong enough to show that they're able to cry. Crying and letting the tears flow is healthy. And once we lower the casket into the ground and the horrific sound of that dirt as it echoes off the coffin, we stand over the grave and we say the Kaddish. And the Kaddish had never mentioned death. Rather, it's a reminder to us that in the face of death, we stand up and we live. The person we love can no longer carry out meets vote and act in the world, so now we are the ones that do it for them. If our loved one was passionate about the homeless, we feed the homeless on their yard site to honor them. 
In Judaism, we do not have flowers at memorials and funerals because flowers die. Rather, we ask people to give tzedakah so that life and action and good happens in the name of the person who's no longer here. It's why in the Kaddish letter that we send to all of you, we give people the opportunity to give tzedakah in honor of the memory of the person that they love. From the moment that we say Kaddish, our focus switches to the mourner. Now the entire process will be working on playing this game of push and pull with the mourner over the next year to take them from the darkness of death back to living, but living with loss and honoring it. As they leave the cemetery, they're not permitted to come back to that cemetery for one year. And the rabbis, they implement this rule because oftentimes people will return to the cemetery every single day and find that they become stuck and they have a hard time finding their way back to life. During the funeral service, some people were actually back at the house preparing for Shiva, covering mirrors, getting the food ready so that when the mourner comes home, all they will need to do is mourn. The entire focus of the community now shifts to taking care of the mourner. We cover the mirror because the mourner's job is no longer to worry about what they look like. The mourner's job is to breathe and to eat and to be given the space and support to remember. Traditionally, when guests arrive at the house, they bring food, lots and lots of deli platters. And the reason we bring food is because food represents life. The comforter who has entered the house of mourning is to go to the mourner as soon as they come into the house and to say nothing. The most they can say is, I'm sorry. But in reality, you're not supposed to say anything because no matter what you say, you're most likely gonna make a mistake. You cannot say to the person, I know what you're going through because you don't. You can't say it's gonna get better or she's in a better place now. No matter what you say to them, it's going to be inadequate. The mourner may not even want to talk and it's not their job to entertain. So the guest's job is simply just to be there. If the mourner does start a conversation, then we follow them and we ask questions about the person that they've lost. And in many respects, it's quite a relief to know that there's nothing that you can say to make it better. Your job as a comforter is found in your presence. During the week of Shiva, there are minyanim, there are prayer services where before the Kaddish is said, people share memories of the person who has been lost. And many families in our community will invite their neighborhood and their Emmanuel in the neighborhood area to the Shiva. And there are tears and often there is laughter. And at the end of the week, after the last minion, the mourners walk out of the house and take a trip around the block, showing their neighborhood that they are re-entering the world. And they're reminding themselves that they need to re-enter the world. And when they return to their house, the house has been transformed. The mirrors have been uncovered. The food in the house is transformed from a shiva house back to a normal house. After a week of having people fill their home, they are ready to be left alone. They've had enough. 
They're sick of people. They want them out. But that was the point. They're ready to move to the next phase of grief. I believe the Shiva minion, it functions on two separate levels. The first and the most obvious level is to comfort the mourner and to show them that they're not alone as they walk through grief. And the second, I believe, is for the community. The community does not know what to do with itself. And they want to do something. The Shiva, it creates a structure for people to care for the mourner and to see that the mourner is still here and is going to make it. It is all the more difficult when a person does not have a Shiva minion because then every time they see a person in their community, they have to relive that first week over and over again as their community member is seeing them for the first time. I know people who have told me that this went on for them for the first year. Even when they had reached a new place in their grief, they would bump into somebody at the JCC and be brought back and they would find themselves comforting the other person. There is a reasoning behind the wisdom of the rabbis. Shiloshim, the first 30 days of mourning. During this time, people return to work in the world as a whole, but they do so as a fragile vessel. Many people, during this time, they wear a career ribbon on the outside, and they tear it. And it's out there to show people that they are in a fragile place and people should be gentle with them. They're not permitted to go to celebrations because they're in such a vulnerable place. And being around people celebrating, it could cause such a dissonance that it would not be good for the healing of their souls. And after 30 days, they move to the year of mourning. It's during this year that people in a traditional community, they pray three times a day and they say the Kaddish. Oftentimes in our community, we have people come to services every single Friday night for the first year to say Kaddish. And this has a dual purpose. For the mourners, they are given a space where they know that they will be able to grieve and go into the depths of their feelings. It is not something that they need to do every single day, all day long. There is an appointed time, three times a day to do this. It enables a person to live and to grieve and to make time for both. The second reason is that it is a reminder to both the mourner and the rest of the community that they are grieving. And I honestly didn't understand this part until I lived in Israel. And about a month into my year in Israel with my rabbinical class, one of the women in my program, her mother died. And she flew back to the States. She buried her mother. She came back. We had a shiva minion for her. At the end of the week, we all went back to our lives. And six months later at Mincha, as we're sitting together praying, and it's time for the Kaddish, she stands up, and the rest of us are seated. And it was this reminder to her that it had only been six months, and to give herself time. It was early. And it was a reminder to us that it had only been six months, and that she was in a very different space than the rest of us. That is the reason why during the Kaddish, I always ask people to stand up based upon where they are in their grief. I ask people to stand up who have lost people in the past seven days, in the past 30 days, in the past year, and the yard site of their loved ones passing. All these people are still grieving. They're just in different spots. And while some people have made it a week, others have made it for 23 years. 
And many Shabbats, I have people come up to me with tears in their eyes saying, I can't believe it's only been 23 years since I lost my father. What we do in Judaism is that we never say that grieving ends. Rather, all we do is we mark time. Because as we grow and as we change, so does our grief. The rabbis, they do not let us grieve alone. That's why we need a minion. That's why we need Emmanuel in the neighborhood. People are around us not just to support us, but to hear our stories and our memories of those who we lost and what we learned from them. I personally, I try to make it a practice to always ask a person who tells me that they lost someone to tell me one thing that, they, that their loved one taught them. And then oftentimes, I take that sacred memory that they shared with me, and I go home, and I tell Elisa, and I tell my kids, and I take that memory and I bring it into our lives because that's what we do in Judaism. We are now the ones that stand up and say the Kaddish. We are the ones who stand up in the face of death and we live. If you are remembering something,